right, well, uh, we're going to resume. I haven't been here on a Wednesday night for a couple weeks, but we're going to resume our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 8. So turn to chapter 8, if you would. Chapter 8. This is a fun one. Um, if I were to take a poll, which I'm not going to do because I, I don't want to split the room, but you can imagine how the room would be divided. Um, and, and do not raise your hand when I ask these questions. Just think amongst yourselves. Uh, how many in the room, and again, let me repeat this, do not raise your hand. Did you get that? All right. So, so those who are professing Christians, um, think to yourselves, um, how many would consider alcohol okay to enjoy? Glass of wine, glass of scotch. Okay, don't, don't answer, don't raise your hand. How many would think that would be wretchedly sinful? Uh, how many folks you think come from a, a background where their family was just ruined by alcohol and the thought of alcohol in their home is an anathema? Um, how many folks were raised in a home where it was really never an issue and it was social and um, they grew up with a, a healthy use of it, I guess, if there's such a thing? And um, how many folks in the room think that you know, for a Christian to go to an R-rated movie is blasphemous, and you might as well just go straight to hell. Don't don't pass go. Don't collect two hundred dollars. Others that I, I remember once. All right, I'll confess. I, I remember once we were having a staff meeting with Don McClure, and I was raving about Saving Private Ryan. How it just was such a profound. I got so many lessons from it, and I was it was my turn to do the devotion with the staff, and I'm sharing about all the insights God had given me and. He pauses me in the middle and he said, somebody on my staff went to an R-rated movie. And everyone scooted away from me. Like, and a couple of them came up. I wish you hadn't done that. I wanted to go see it. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, where do you all rest in that? Um, how many people think watching football on Sunday is not godly? How, how many people think certain days of the week you should worship, worship others you don't? I mean, we share the building with... Uh, a group of Bible-believing Christians that hold that the Sabbath is, is to be on Saturday. Um, others believe that the Lord's Day is Sunday. Uh, we can go back and forth. But the one thing we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and, and I really like this because they're dealing with two things that uh, I, I enjoy, meat and drink. Uh, and, and if you were thinking alcohol, that's not the issue. Uh, but if you wonder if the pastors had alcohol, yes, I have. Nobody's left, praise the Lord. Okay, so maybe you're planning on it, but, uh, but let's take a look at it. And um, I'm going to have you stand for the reading of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and then I'll have you sit for 10 and uh, Romans 14. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and he's gone through marriage, and he's gone through singleness, and he's gone through all these things, and he's been describing divorce and a number of other things, because these are all questions that the church at Corinth had. And now they're asking about alcohol, and they're asking about meat, and uh, not just meat, but meat sacrificed to idols. And Paul says, okay, let me answer that question. He begins by saying, now concerning things offered to idols, which is now concerning the question you asked me. All right, so they sent him a series of questions, and he's answering them to the church at Corinth while he's in Ephesus in prison. He says, now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we have all knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, small g, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords. And what he's saying is the world sees it that way, but the Lord doesn't. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled." But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we, eat, uh, if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. 
But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. And then he says, for if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Now, let me pray and then you can sit down and then I'll read the rest of it. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word as we take a look at Paul answering this question to a church um, many, many years ago, but it's so relevant to us today. And we ask that you'd answer the same question for us, that we would operate in a context that would glorify you, edify our brothers and sisters in the, in the body of Christ. And we pray that you give clarity and Holy Spirit, please lead us into all truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have a seat. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes some more. We're going to take a look at it. We're going to pick up at verse 23. This is one of my favorite passages. I absolutely love it. It's what makes Christianity such a cool faith. Uh, there's, there's freedom in Christ. And I love this about Christianity. All things are lawful for me. It doesn't mean awful. It says lawful. There's an L there. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Edify means to build up. You get the word edifice, buildings. So you build up. You Not all things build up. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. uh, But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat for the sake of the one who told you. And for the conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's, I read that, didn't I? And all the fullness, conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit that they may be saved. I hope I got that right. Yeah. And then, uh, I don't have, I don't have Romans 14, but we'll get to that momentarily. So Paul addresses it in first Corinthians eight, first Corinthians 10, also Romans 14 and then 15, one and two. And in this passage of scripture, um, Paul is dealing with, in Corinth, they had the temple of uh, Apollos, uh, Apollyon temple, uh, and there they would sacrifice meat, similar to if you go into a Chinese restaurant and there is Buddha and they've got all the food out for him. Um, and and it's, it's offered to this idol. And, and then when it's completed, um, then they sell it or try to consume it so it doesn't go to waste. And... Paul's looking at it and he's saying, you can buy this in the market. I, I want to give you a modern day picture of it, of meat sacrificed to idols. And this is, this is current in today's understanding. Uh, so you'll get an idea. Does anyone know what halal meat is? It's not kosher, although it, it, it can apply to kosher. It's in Islam. Halal is Islamic um, meat, and there's a specific way to go about it. And you find this now in Michigan, you find this in Minnesota, where there's a large uh, constituency or grouping of, of Muslim immigrants, and they have these halal meat markets, and it's prepared in a specific way, similar to kosher laws. It's, but, but there's something even more intense about halal meat. Uh, and you can actually get halal meat at a radical discount, and I'll show you when. Actually, uh, August 20th and 21st, at the conclusion of August 21st, it was the end of an Islamic holiday or a high holiday, and now meat prices have dropped in these regions, and I'll show you why. Uh, halal is Arabic for permissible. Halal food is that which adheres to Islamic laws defined in the Quran. 
the Islamic form of slaughtering animals during the process, a Muslim will recite a dedication known as shahada. And uh, the way they do it is they cut the jugular vein and the windpipe, and they let the animal bleed out, and they recite this shahada while the animal's bleeding out. Uh, it's, it's pretty intense. I'll show you some pictures, and if you don't have a stomach for blood, I'll warn you in advance. But here's the shortest form of the shahada uh, that the butcher or the person uh, butchering the animal would s- recite. There's no God but Allah. Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. The longer version is, I bear witness that there is no God but Allah. I bear witness that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. And, and that's the same uh, prayer or the same statement that a person becomes a Muslim by reciting the Shahada with a sincere heart in Arabic. And so when they learn it in Arabic and they recite it, this is a, uh, this is like, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I receive him. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and, and by his death, burial, and resurrection, I'm a new creature in Christ. The oldest past and new has come. This is, this is the conversion prayer in Islam uh, for anyone who wants to convert to Islam. And so it's called the Shahada. You can see, I bear witness that there is no God but Allah. So every time one of these animals during this, these high holidays and the one that just, just passed on August 20th and 21st, they take the animal and it's, it's going to be a goat. It'll be a cow uh, or, or a bull. Uh, it could be a camel. They cut the jugular vein, the windpipe. It bleeds out in front of them. Um, and, and it's broken down in a series of ways. But you see... Uh, Uh, The messenger of Allah said, I have been commanded to fight against people till they testify that there is no God but Allah, that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, that they establish prayer and pay zakat, and if they do it, their blood and property are guaranteed protection on my behalf except when justified by law, and their affairs rest with Allah. And it's this idea that... uh, This prayer and this this idea that we're going to conquer, it's it's all based on Sharia law. And this is the holiday, Ed al-Adha, uh, this is what was just celebrated on August 20th and 21st. I'll show you some pictures <clears throat> of what occurred. And Allah is the greatest. Allah is the greatest. There is no God but Allah. Allah is greatest. Allah is greatest. Um, and to Allah goes all praise. And then in Pakistan, this is, this is just one Muslim country. Uh, in Pakistan alone, nearly 10 million animals are slaughtered on this day, on these two days, August 21st. And now the dates change, obviously, based on the Gregorian calendar. Costs over $2 billion. So it is a, a blood fest of animals that are slaughtered. And you have no concept of how many animals just died in the last two days. It's intense. Um, this, is, uh, this is the uh, U.S. Bank Stadium where the Minnesota Vikings, and uh, this was early on in, in the stages of this Recently, in the last two days, they actually filled it. To, uh, I think 55,000 Muslims gathered in the stadium, and they recited the prayer that we just had. Uh, they all sacrificed animals. They participated in this concept. This is what's happening near Mecca, uh, all in the same time frame. This is an enormous high holiday, and, and it represents uh, in Genesis when Abraham was going to sacrifice his son and uh, God provided a ram. It actually says in, in the Quran, or actually in the, in the Islamic faith, the Muslim faith, that he did go to cut uh, his son, and he was unhurt after he did it. And then he looked, and there was already a sacrificed animal waiting for this. So it's a very different version than our own in the scriptures. Uh, and they celebrate this. And, and this, get ready, this is gruesome. For those of you who don't have a stomach for blood, these are some of the animals. I don't want to, but you got to see it if you want to know what we're dealing with. And this is just one area, and this is this is what they do. They just cut that jugular vein, and the blood pours out. You can see all the carcasses there, and then the following week, meat prices drop. I'm thrilled about that, quite honestly. <laughs> but the meat prices drop. You go to halal market, and really what's happened is you've had a glut on the market of meat. Uh, a third of it goes to the owner, a third of it goes to the poor, and a third of it goes to, I'm not exactly sure, I actually probably have it written here. Um, and, and, this is, and they give it to the poor, a third of it goes to the poor. Land prices drop after Islamic festival demand, boom. This is out of the farmer's... Um, magazine in, in the United Kingdom, uh, immediately land prices drop, and it's just an intense time. Um, 
and you consider these similarities of what we just read, you've got in 1 Corinthians 8 and 10 and Romans 14, which I didn't bring, but you can read it on your own. In both, there's a problem with meat and what people drink. Uh, In both, everything is allowed. All things are permissible, but not all things are profitable or edify. And and then uh, you go further in both. The person that eats the meat gives thanks to God and eats without guilt. You're going to find that in all three of these passages. So everything's allowed, meat and drink. And they're talking about, you know, drink. And they're talking about meat. They're talking about the... And, and this is stuff that's been sacrificed to idols. And in all cases, everything is allowed. Everything's permissible. And they give thanks to God and they can eat it without guilt. Both refer to... The weak brother, 1 Corinthians 8, 7, um, you got 9 through 12, Romans 14, 1, and, and in contrast to the more mature Christians. So the ones that are struggling over it, I can't handle that. I can't, I can't eat meat that's sacrificed to Allah, even though it's reduced in price, forget it. I came out of the Muslim religion. Uh, it, it's awful. Sharia law is dominating. I came out of Pakistan. I've come to the United States of America. We don't want to see that happen here. And it's grieving them and they can't do it. Uh, But Paul warns the person that has faith that eating meat can become a stumbling block to the weak. And that's 1 Corinthians 8, 9, 13, Romans 14, 20, and 21. In both, Christ's disciples are urged to consider others before themselves, which we read. And you see in Romans 15, 1 um, and 2, 1 Corinthians 10, 24, and 33. This is, in fact, the main message of Romans 14. Paul summarizes the whole thrust of the passage by these words. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to edify him. Uh, In both, the appeal is to abstain rather than to cause another's fall. Paul's plea is for the more mature Christian to consider his weak brethren before himself. So really what you have is, uh, and and I'll I'll put it in their mindset uh, where Paul's writing and and then you have all the Greek gods. And you remember when Paul went to Athens and he saw a temple to every God imaginable. And then he saw the temple to the unknown God. And he began to, on Mars Hill, address that and present God through this, the, the Lord Jesus Christ through, through uh, this amazing debate uh, approach that he used. Um, and, and he said, uh, um, having dealt with their question, he, he was dealing with marriage and, and singleness, but now he addresses this idea of meat uh, being sacrificed to idols. And I want to read this to you. Meat offered on pagan altars was usually divided into three portions. One portion was burnt in honor of the God. This isn't halal. This isn't uh, the holiday that was just celebrated. This is dealing with the Greeks. Uh, so one was burnt in honor to the God. One portion was given to the worshiper to take home and eat. And the third portion was given to the priest. If the priest didn't want to eat his portion, he sold it at the temple uh, restaurant or the meat market. So you get to go home with a third of what you brought. A third is burned up and then a third is given to the temple priest. But the temple priest gets all of a third from everyone coming to the temple. So he's inundated with meat. And he's saying, well, I got a lot of meat. I can only eat so much. So I'm going to sell some of it. And so he puts it on the market or sells it to a restaurant. And of course, the prices are reduced, just similar to what we've seen here with the prices dropping in meat because of the, uh, the supply and demand and as the, the stuff's come out. So here you are, you're a Christian in Athens, excuse me, you're a Christian in Corinth, and uh, you, you go to your, your Jewish butcher and you got your kosher meat, and then you go over here to the or the Corinthian market that they just did the sacrifice. And, and uh, this is five bucks a pound for tri-tip, and this is three bucks a pound for tri-tip. Now, this is kosher Jewish, and this is Corinthian leather. I mean, this, no, I'm just kidding. This is Corinthian meat, and you got kosher meat. And this is, let's say six, and this is three. Six bucks and three bucks a pound. Well, I... Jewish meat is irrelevant to me as much as as Corinthian meat is irrelevant to me because I'm Scottish, (laughs) right? And so I like the price. And everyone's saying, you can't buy that. It's been offered to pagans. Guess what? I'm scooping it up and I'm bringing it home. And I'm going to invite you over for dinner. I had Tony come over today. I, I smoked a a pork brisket for 12 hours. First I marinated it. Then I smoked it. Then I pulled it. Then I chopped it. It was outstanding. And it was pork. And it was probably sacrificed to something. I don't know what. 
Actually, uh, Muslims would not use pork. This wouldn't work. And I kind of did that on purpose. I just wanted that scent to... No, I'm kidding. Um, but, but we're looking at this, and, and we're enjoying it. Imagine we're eating, and Tony says, this, this meat is so good. Where did you get this beef? And I say to Tony, it's not beef. It's pork. Well, I don't eat beef. Excuse me, I don't eat pork. I Oh, I, I didn't know. Now, he has a reason for that. Or, or let's just say we're sitting down to a nice tri-tip roast and we're cutting into that and we're just enjoying it. And, and I, seriously, not many people with the exception of maybe Kevin Golan make a better tri-tip than me. And that's not bragging, that's just true. And, <laughs> and, and as you're consuming this and enjoying it, and you just every bit of it, you're savoring it. And, and you say, where did you get this? This is so tender. This is so delicious. I said, I got it over at the Corinthian market for three bucks a pound. I mean, eat as much as you want. And they spit it out. What? My whole family's inundated in that cult. It's, that, that whole temple has ruined my family. The sexual dysfunction and the divorce and all the misery that's associated with that temple. And you have the audacity to serve me that slop. And Paul's saying, okay, I got knowledge. And here's my knowledge. That's meat and that's meat. And they're both from a cow. And this was cut and this was cut. And this was offered to a hunk of metal or wood or stone, declaring it to be a God that doesn't exist. And it was a waste of time. And if they want to put it on the market for cheaper, it doesn't affect us. Their God is not alive. He's dead. And, and you're, you're, you're troubled over something you need not be worried about. It's three bucks a pound. And it's really good. That's knowledge. And it's puffed up. I have the freedom to enjoy this. What is your problem? This is absolutely tender and delicious. It's marble. I think it's prime. This is choice. It's like leather. You've got to beat the daylights out of it just to get a chew. But love, love immediately says, I am so sorry. And it doesn't go, what a weak and pathetic brother you are that you can't eat this. But hey, listen, I'll accommodate your hang-ups for the sake of, you know, more expensive meat. That's not love. Love is, I am so sorry I offended you. It was never my intention to offend you. Obviously, my actions have. What can I do to remedy this? Can I have you back over for dinner? I will never do that again. You have my absolute word on it. Had I known, I would have never have done it. Well, how could you, how could you eat from, from food from that temple? And when the Bible says, you know, knowledge puffeth up, I can, I can assassinate them with a logical formulation as to why they are the weaker brother. But the Lord says, no, love covers a multitude of sins, overlooks an offense. I'm not offended because you want to diminish me and what I did. And what's so profound about it is that in, uh, in Romans, it talks about this idea where it says in, in chapter 15, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. And the idea is, I, I don't, I don't want to burden you. I don't want to hurt you. Some other author, author said, the meat served and sold at temple was generally cheaper, as I've obviously pointed out, a bargain. But the issues raised many questions for the church at Corinth, because everybody in that city came out of this mess. Um, instead of talking about food, Paul first talks about principles of knowledge and love. Christian behavior is found on, founded on love, not knowledge. And the goal of the Christian life is not knowledge, but love. And when he says knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, both knowledge and love have an effect on our lives in that each of them makes something grow. The difference between puffs up and edifies is striking. It's the difference between a bubble and a building. Some Christians grow, others just swell. And, and I, I love that insight. I think it's profound. And the idea of edifying, you do that by winning your brother. 
you win them. And what a great opportunity to open up a, a door where offense occurred and now you recant, apologize, humble yourself and say, tell me about what you've been through because this is, this is something that has elicited an, a, a, a tremendous response from you. Talk to me. I, I'm your brother. I want to know how I can minister to you. I want to know how I can bless you and protect you. What is it that, that you're going through? Tell me about this. And people don't so much want to know about you. They want you to know about them. And it opens up an opportunity to ask them questions. And so that's what a meal does. And you sit there and you start asking them questions. And they're going to pour it all out and share with you. And if you think you know it all, Paul points out, if anyone thinks he knows anything, if you think you know it all, you don't know a thing. Did you hear that? If you think you know it all, you don't know a thing. You, 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 can, you can come at somebody, and let, we'll, just, we'll go to something I'm familiar with. Come, come with a political ideology. And I got news for you. No matter how cut and dried your political ideology is, I've got news for you. The reason why the person has a contending or competing ideology, there's a very good reason. And what I've come to find is it's personal. And it hurts. And they have, they have sought some way to process life. And maybe they don't have all the facts, but it is driven a lot by emotion and pain. And you can just hammer them and hammer them and hammer them and lay out your case and you've won nothing. Nothing. Oftentimes in the most intense political victories I've ever experienced, I've probably never opened my mouth with the exception of, tell me more. And, and some of my favorite are questions that facilitate a response. How did that make you feel? Was, was that something that your family also was subject to? How did you process and come up with that idea? I mean, it, 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 the, the train of, of thought is fascinating to me. Do you have others that have, have helped you with this? And they're just pouring it out, pouring it out. And you're listening. And the whole time they're speaking, not only am I listening and repeating what they're saying, but I'm praying over the process while they're talking. And God gives you little snippets just to drop in there. And, and, and you're just throwing little things in there. And it's, it's kind of like they're going over here and you just kind of throw something down. They go, oh, there's something there. They come back over here. And they, they start to veer again and just throw something and they come back. And, and you're just walking them down this path where based on everything, here's, here's the bottom line. In a lot of cases, people want the exact same thing you do. They just don't know how to go about getting it. And one of the reasons why they don't embrace what you know with all of your wisdom and all of your knowledge is because they don't trust you for whatever reason. People don't want to know, they, they don't so much want to, they don't care about what you know as much as they want to know how much you care. And as you just start to listen and spend time, people start to respond that way. And that's what Paul's saying. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing. And there's knowledge that is important, the knowledge of God and those who love him. He says, if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. And he says, uh, um, I want to show you a better way, Paul says. This author says, the Corinthian Christian may have reasoned like this. If idols are really nothing... It must mean nothing to eat meat sacrificed to nothing idols. And it must mean nothing to eat in the building used to worship these nothing idols in, the, you know, in this idea. And, it, and it's, it's completely logical. Yes? I have no problem eating halal meat. I don't. Some of you may be going, that's, that's an anathema. I, can't, I cannot accept that. But Paul says... However, there is not in everyone that knowledge for some with consciousness of the idol until now eat as a thing offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. The Corinthian Christian who felt free to eat at the pagan temple may have based their freedom on correct knowledge, knowing that idols are nothing. But for some, as Paul points out, they have conscience of the idol and they eat meat sacrificed to the idol as a thing offered to an idol. They can't separate the two. You see a glass of alcohol and all you see is your dad beating the daylights out of you drunk as a skunk. And you, you, can, 
you can say to them, you're not going to get drunk. Paul even said to Timothy to take some wine for your stomach ailment. It's an art form. It, it, it doesn't have to be a stumbling block. You can go through all that. I, there's Calvary Chapel pastors that if you drink, they consider that in, in many respects just uh, almost as though you could lose your salvation if you ever had it to begin with. Not a lot of them. I, I, I can think of three that I've heard scorching sermons on alcohol. And, and yet in the same regard, most of these guys, one of my favorite teachers, Joe Foch, he is just so opposed to alcohol because his family was devastated by it. He sees nothing good in it. He'll list the, the statistics of what happens in this country as a result of alcohol. And he's completely right. It's awful. And I get it. And I, I, I listen to him. And I go, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and then you're sitting at a table with folks where it's going to facilitate and open up an opportunity to converse and they offer you a glass of wine and I have no problem saying, okay. And people look and how, what? If that's the case, no, no, thank you. I remember one time I was at uh, a sushi restaurant across the street from um, the Skyline Church. And the owner of it, uh, I can't remember his name, uh, he, he came over and he kept saying, you know, picking on me because I'm a pastor and we were across the street and we had parking privileges at their restaurant. He was a really sweet man and I'd make sure we, we frequented his restaurant. And, and he puts, all, all the, the whole sushi bar is just filled with people and he's making some comments and he, he puts some sake up and he goes, for you, pastor. And everyone's looking at him and he's laughing. He goes, he won't drink it. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll drink it right now in front of everybody if you'll be in church on Sunday. And he took that away and, you know, he put it, he put it back. And it's like, I, I, what, are you, what are you laughing at me for? You're the one who's, if this is an issue, I'll, I'll, let's, let's benefit from it. Let's edify. Let's work this. And so all things are permissible. Not all things are profitable. I'll tell you when it's never pros- profitable. And that's when it stumbles a brother or a sister or someone who is brand new in their faith or somebody who's been scarred through their Christian walk. Uh, Corinthian Christians who felt free to eat at the pagan temple based their freedom on correct knowledge, as we studied earlier. But others, they, they just couldn't see the, the, the disconnect. They, they just, everything was connected to that temple and it bothered them. Uh, you aren't, here, here's the interesting thing. Uh, Paul says, food does not commend us to God. All right? So if, if you're following Levitical dietary law and you think it elevates you over me as a Christian because I think, you know, a pig is a perfect animal that you feed a pig broccoli and it turns it into bacon. And that is a perfect animal. <laughs> you, you, you feed a pig spinach and it turns it in to bacon. I mean, that is remarkable. Is anyone else? In, that's a miracle of God. And bacon is meat candy. It is, it is a gift. It is so phenomenal. And I don't understand people who, who cook it until it's dust, as though trichinosis has even been around in 100 years. A nice, medium-rare piece of pork chop is phenomenal. You never see it served that way because everyone's scared. You just think there's a worm in there. It's not. It's delicious. Our, our pork industry is phenomenal. Let's move on. Where was I? This is beautiful. And I just say it's awesome. You're not more spiritual because you don't eat pork. You're not more spiritual because of your dietary laws. I could care less if you're a vegan. All right? Good for you. Don't try to convert me. This is body by pig. I, 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 I don't care what your diet is. You're not special. Okay? I don't care what it is. You're not special. And, and I'll just vegetarian, vegan, whatever it is. You, why is it that you make all of your food try to look like meat? I'll just leave it at that. It tastes just like meat. No, duh, because that's what you're craving. Where were we? I have personal freedom to eat meat and eat meat sacrificed to idols. And trust me, Allah is an idol. And that's going to go out on the airwaves. I'll see you in the next life. 
In Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council sent a letter commanding some churches, among other things, to abstain from things offered to idols. Now, that did exist. But Paul's discussion of the issue here does not contradict what the Jerusalem Council decided in Acts 15. Instead, it shows that the council's decision was not intended to regulate all the church all the time. It was a temporary arrangement meant to advance the cause of the gospel among Jews of the day. Jews struggled. Paul said, then let them deal with their dietary stuff. This is a non-salvific issue. Move on. We're picking fly poop out of pepper. We're dividing over things we need not worry about. Just let them have that temporary stay of execution. Move on, right? And, uh, and I was thinking, this point for us, where most of us would stumble on issues, are not necessarily going to be meat, would be on drink. But it, this passage deals with, ready? Christian... Liberty, Christian liberty, movies, drinking, music, television. Some people think one stance is more spiritual than another. Um, There's churches that have divided over the fact that they will not allow syncopated rhythms in their church. No drums. That, that That is sex fueled rock and roll. No dancing. Dancing is a vertical expression of a horizontal desire. Not in this church. And there are churches, and some will, some will divide over a piano and an organ. Well, that is much more holy of an instrument. We, we find the most amazing things to prove our spirituality when it has nothing to do with our spirituality. We want, us, we want ourselves to be more significant than others. And, and it's this idea of pride. Pride puffs up. I may have liberty, but I want to show you This is what's interesting to me. What are the sorts of things that have an element of evil or idolatry associated with them? For example, that might be difficult for a Christian to be part of. Alcohol, smoking, drugs, TV, lottery, gambling, sports, etc. Just look at it. Just take a look at it. Just take a look at it. Anybody in the room than any of these things at any time. Don't raise your hand. Any of these things. Any of you. Don't raise your hand. And for those of you who have never done any of those things, are you sitting here going, no, I've never done any of those things. You see what it does? Some of you are going, well, I've, I've done some of those things. Is that wrong? Some of you are going, I've never done any of those things. I am Right. If you've done any of those things, you're going to hell. According to the passage, it says all things are permissible. Having done some of those things, have you stumbled a brother or sister? I remember one time I was uh, in college. I was in a suite of dorms. We all shared a common grouping area and a common bathroom, but we all had separate suites, two roommates, or two people in each of the three rooms with a common area and a common bathroom. And we were all athletes. These guys were on the track team. I was swimming in water polo. Uh, I, I had come to the school. I was trying to commit my life to Christ. My roommate was just full-on pagan. Couldn't find a church worth going to. I tried. After a while, and every time I'd come into to the dorm, they'd just be hitting the bong, just, you know... <laughs> And, and the whole place was filled with smoke. And it was before you could do drug testing. We were just coming up to the crux of that. And Fresno State would do drug test, testing the next year. And these guys are just lit. They're baked. And they're just, hey. And, and I come in, and, and, and my roommate was there. And the suite mates were there. And the whole place was just a bong den, you know. And, and, and I, you're all going to hell. And you just, and I, you know, because when you're young, you, you find something in Christendom to define you. And, and I knew that was wrong. And I'm going to let you know that's wrong. And I just walk in and, you know, condemn them all to hell and go into my room and hide there. And, and then my evil thoughts would be swirling. And I didn't want to read my Bible. And I had no fellowship. And, and I'm just withering. And, 
and the, the year goes on, and the school's difficult, and the athletics is overwhelming, and I'm just sick of my environment, and I, I, I no fellowship, and I'm just, I'm hating it. And these guys, every Friday night, they're laughing and having a great time, and I'm in there with nobody to hang out with, and I'm thinking, this life is awful, and God, you don't get it, and, and I'm, I'm struggling. And finally, you know, three quarters of, of the year into it, I go out into the dorm on a Friday night, I see these guys... And I turn to them and I go, give me the bong. And they're like, what? And I go, give it to me. And, you know, and, I, and, and I join them. And marijuana is like the worst because the minute you take it, it doesn't go away. And it's this gateway. It opens up and just the voice of condemnation. You're so pathetic. You are worthless. You're, and you're like, stop. You're just trying to shake it out. And you're just dizzy and you're hungry and... And everything's just spinning, and it's just awful. And I remember I'm just, you know, giggle at first, and then condemnation and guilt and, and just feeling awful. And the one guy, he ended up, his whole goal in life as a track star, track runner, his whole goal in life was to become an attorney to, to fight for the legalization of marijuana. And, and uh, he, I, I take the bong hit, and we're just sitting there, and he looks at me through glazed eyes, and he goes, <laughs> I thought you were different, but you're just like us. Now, he meant that as a compliment. And he couldn't have said anything more hurtful. And I looked at him, and I just said, I'm so sorry. He goes, what do you mean, sorry? I go, I shouldn't be here. Yes, I'm just like you. I'm just like you. But I serve a God who isn't. And, and he... He can give us victory over this stuff. You guys can never leave this den. And I stepped in, I'm stepping out. And I, I, I was less judgmental. I was more endearing to them. And it humbled me. There's nothing like being convicted by a pagan to realize how legalistic you are. Hello? Amen. And all of a sudden, I would sit in on their lives and talk with them and spend time with them. And I was more human and more thoughtful. And I remember Michelle and I were in Fresno after we had gotten married. And here I am in ministry. And I run into this guy. He's, he, he's become a believer. He, uh, John Overstreet was my roommate uh, another season. But he ended up becoming a chaplain for the Fresno Police Department. Ended up becoming an officer. And this other guy ended up serving in law enforcement for a series, season of time. And then went into the ministry totally changed life. He said, just thanks for sharing with me. And, and I'm looking at him. He's talking to me going, thank you for ministering to me. I'm thinking, I was a pathetic witness. He said, no, you were real. And you were honest about your failure. And, and you were, when I said you were just like us, I meant it in a very good way. And I said, all right, you know, I passed the bong. No, I didn't say that. I was kidding. <laughs> but but my, my point is this. Be all things to all men that you might win some doesn't mean that you take heroin with each other. Doesn't mean that, that you, you, you know, do hallucinogenic drugs. That's not what I'm saying. My point is you, you don't have to avoid the world. Be in the world, but not of the world. And the times where you have this liberty and this freedom is not to be used for the sake of stumbling others. Never do anything illegal because as Christians, we obey the law of the land. Yes. And God doesn't want us to go against the law of the land. Sharia law goes against the law of the land because their desire is to enforce their law upon the land. Here, take, take a look. Are we ready to show this video? I, I want to show you the difference between the, the freedom, before you run it, I want to show you the difference between the freedom God gives us, the liberty we have as Christians, to operate in, in a society where there are laws but that, those laws allow us to have the freedom to operate in a context that would edify and, and build up younger believers or more immature believers, weaker brethren, and to reach into the world. We can go places and do things and, and still honor the law of the land, whereas Sharia law is different. They will enforce their law. And this is one of the reasons why folks who have come out of Islam and fundamentalist Islam would look at halal meat and say, no. And I'm okay with that. 
And I want to walk with them through that and help them with it. Take a look at the video and see the contrast between Christendom and what you would consider radical Islam. What is the world's most dangerous ideology? In the first part of the 20th century, the answer was fascism. First manifest in Italy in the 1920s and then in Nazi Germany and in Imperial Japan. It took a world war and 50 million dead to stamp it out. In the second half of the 20th century, the answer was communism. Between the Soviet Union, Mao's China, and their client states, at least 100 million people were killed in its wake. Today, the answer is Islamism, a radical and often violent form of Islam. Like fascism and communism, Islamism is totalitarian in nature. The state controls everything. Also like fascism and communism, Islamism is inherently expansionist. It always seeks to get bigger, cross borders, and bring as many peoples as possible under its control. And, like fascism and communism, many of Islamism's adherents are prepared to kill to achieve its aims. Those aims are antithetical to everything Western and other free societies stand for. Free speech, free enterprise, freedom to practice or not to practice any religion, freedom of assembly, a free press, and, of course, fundamental human and civil rights for all their citizens. Islamism completely rejects the Western principle of separating religion from government. In its view, governments are legitimate only if they rule according to religious law, in Islamism's case, Sharia, Islam's extensive body of sacred laws. Sharia is based on the teachings of the Quran and the Sunnah. The Quran is believed to be the literal words of Allah, as revealed to his prophet Muhammad in the 7th century, and the Sunnah consists of the words and deeds attributed to Muhammad. Islamists interpret Sharia to hold that anyone born Muslim must remain Muslim and face execution if they convert to any other religion, that adulterers must be stoned to death, that anyone who insults Islam or Muhammad must either be severely whipped or executed, and that thieves should have a limb cut off. In addition, Islamists condone polygamy and child marriage. These beliefs are being put into practice right now in, among other places, Iran, the Sudan, Saudi Arabia, the Muslim parts of Nigeria, parts of Pakistan, Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan, and wherever else Sharia has established a foothold. If Islamists were content to live under strict Sharia law in their own communities and leave everyone who doesn't want to live that way alone, they wouldn't be a threat to the rest of the world. But that would not be Islamism. Islamism wants the entire world governed by Sharia, and anyone who opposes Islamist expansionism is the enemy and must be destroyed. That, of course, includes the United States, all of Europe, and Israel but it also includes fellow Muslims. Indeed, Islamists have killed far more Muslims than members of any other group. So how many Islamists are there? Nobody knows for sure, but we can make some conservative calculations. There are approximately one and a half billion Muslims in the world. How many of these are Islamists? A 2013 Pew Research poll offers some clues. 86% of Muslims in Pakistan, 80% in Egypt, and 65% in Jordan support the stoning of adulterers, 79% in Afghanistan, 62% of Palestinians, and 58% in Malaysia, considered a moderate Muslim country, support the death penalty for Muslims who convert from Islam. If only 10% of the world's Muslims are Islamists, and the percentage is likely higher, that's 150 million people. Among these, how many are willing to take violent action to enforce their Islamism? Here we're talking about Al-Qaeda, the Islamic State, the Taliban, Hamas, Hezbollah, Boko Haram, Al-Shabaab, and other groups that send suicide bombers into markets, explode car bombs at funerals, throw acid in the faces of girls who attend school, murder sisters or daughters who defy the will of a brother or father, or who fly hijacked airplanes into buildings. This is a very hard number to pin down. So let's again be cautious and say the figure is only 2% of that 150 million. That's still 3 million people, 3 million potential terrorists organized by a common ideology and supported by many more. The good news is that hundreds of millions of Muslims are not radical Islamists. Just to cite one example, the Islamist Muslim Brotherhood governed Egypt for one year in 2012. But enough Egyptians were so outraged by the Brotherhood's harsh imposition of Sharia law that they staged perhaps the largest demonstrations in human history against the Muslim Brotherhood and brought that government down. Since the beginning of the 20th century, every generation has been confronted with a lethal threat to freedom and fundamental human rights. Free people defeated the last two totalitarian threats, fascism and communism. If we want to preserve freedom, we, non-Muslims and Muslims alike, will have to defeat the threat of our time, Islamism. I'm Raymond Ibrahim, author of the Al-Qaeda Reader for Prager University. He is an ex-Muslim. And these are things that, you know, his family's been affected by that. Um, 
And you think just looking at the numbers alone and in some of these nations where they've enforced some of these Sharia law aspects and your, your family's been affected by it, and, and this celebration and, and this slaughter of these animals happens August 20th, 21st, the food hits the market, halal, meat is cheaper, and you don't even want to go near it. And, and to invite someone over and to serve that, I, I want to take a look at this. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful, right? All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care about your diet. I care about the person you're ministering to. Other folks don't care about that. They want you they need to be edified. Step into that. Don't use your legalism as being some, some way superior, right? Use your freedom to minister to others. Don't use your freedom to crush them. Does that make sense? Michelle and I were on a cruise. Uh, we went for her birthday. Um, and... Uh, we went. We would go dancing in the evenings, and uh, you know, similar to my tri-tip cooking, dancing is I'm spectacular. I uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm awful. I just go white boy, go white boy. But but as we're dancing out there, there's a woman from England, and I'm out there chewing gum and dancing. Yeah, and and she says in her proper British accent. I can't believe that a vicar is dancing and chewing gum. I thought, does this affect your Christian walk or is it just something that you, I mean, I had to figure this out here. And at the end of it, we had a really neat friendship. She laughed, she enjoyed that, and she thought, I wish the church in England was much more like the church you're about. You know. I don't know if I don't think I stumbled her. I think I ministered to her. Some of you are thinking, what is our minister doing dancing? Well, I can tell you I was having a really good time. If it stumbles, if it, <laughs> if it stumbles you, I'll never do it in your presence and I'll never speak of it again, but come talk to me. But the question I have for you is, is this a legalism aspect for you? And we're going to have a conversation. I want to know how did you get to this place where this is so painful? I want to know how to even minister to you in a greater way. That'll open a door for conversation. Because that's the freedom we have in Christ to reach into every nook and cranny of this culture. Some of you have the freedom to walk into a bar and to minister. Others of you have the freedom not to walk into a bar. You used to never have the freedom not to walk into a bar. You saw a bar, you had to go into it, right? Now you have the freedom to stay out of that bar. Praise the Lord and testify of that. Some of you had, had the, the hindrance of going into a bar because of the legalism, and now the strength of Christ has given you the ability to go in and minister there, with being in the world but not of it. But this is the idea that we have this freedom, and, and the, the knowledge is not to make you superior. It's the love to reach into that with the freedom and the liberty, not at the expense of the weaker brethren, but at the ability to reach the lost. 